And now, having heard from the political spectrum and also about the programs of the society, it is fitting that we hear a word from the world of scholarship. I heard a, def a definition of a dedicated scholar the other day. A dedicated scholar is one who has discovered that there is something more interesting in life than women. Well, Professor E. Merrill Root is with us tonight and well known to most of us. <clears throat> His works are well known to the members of our society. He graduated Phi Beta Kappa from Amherst some time ago when that institution, like some others, had a little different philosophy than they seem to exhibit today. And he did graduate work at the University of Missouri, Andover, and Harvard. He was a professor of English at Earlham College, where he lectured to enthusiastic and crowded classes for 40 years. He has authored 11 major volumes of poetry, rated by distinguished critics as among America's best. He's also had four volumes of prose, one of the latest collections of which is here tonight. And he has contributed articles to most worthwhile conservative journals, which of course includes Review of the News and American Opinion. <clears throat> He is as earthly as his native New England countryside, which he loves so much. A Christian gentleman who honors life but loves liberty more. As was well said, America needs to hear what such a man has to tell her about herself. It's a great pleasure for me to introduce to you Professor E. Merrill Root. Mr. Chairman, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'm very proud uh, to address you this evening, and I'm also very humble. Here am I, just a simple country boy, and I'm addressing the elite and the sophisticated of conservatism. Uh, <laughs> I think I understand how a lunar moth feels when it suddenly breaks from the chrysalis and sees before it a great light. Now this evening I'm to speak to you very briefly on the subject of the culture of conservatism. Now everybody here knows that we must expose and oppose the conspiracy wherever we find it. That we must uh, uncover the insiders who desire one world like a very fat goose with its neck between their very sharp teeth. We must continue to do that and we are going to continue to do it. But if we are really to have a better world, if we are really to have a renaissance of America, we must have more than that. We must have a culture, a culture of light, of life, of love, of joy, of humor, 
uh, an affirmation, uh, a yes to the sun. We must have a culture of conservatism. Now one field in which we must have this culture of conservatism uh, is in the field of poetry. Now uh, we know the pseudo-poets that we see around us uh, today. I could quote you a very bad one named Allen Ginsberg, but, but I want you still to enjoy your dinner, and so I want. But uh, I do have here a, a brief quotation from uh, the best poet of the establishment, perhaps, Archibald MacLeish. Now, Archibald MacLeish is talking about uh, uh, winter-stiffened trees, and here are three lines about them from Archibald MacLeish. These winter-stiffened trees are posthumously sucking pap from the pores of a dead planet like the bristles on a butchered pig. Well, there you have it. <laughs> now, I submit to you at least that here is a man who places a minor sign before the integer of life and not the nth power of infinity after the integer. Here is a man who finds everywhere a hollowness and nowhere a home. Here is a man who goes out with blotting paper to drink up the sun, that golden ink with which God writes the day. And that is a negative culture. That is a, a, a culture of nihilism set against it. Just two lines from a great poet of the culture of conservatism, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Wind descends on the Atlantic, the gigantic storm wind of the equinox. Now that's stormy, uh, that isn't pretty, that's wonderful. It's magnificent and it's affirmative. Or take painting. Now we are accustomed perhaps uh, to the painter who tries to give us what I sometimes think is God's most beautiful creation, woman. And how, do, how does such a painter present woman? Well, like a, a sort of far-off caricature of Smokey the Bear inflated with laughing gas. <laughs> or uh, if they present us with a landscape, uh, it is something like a random wind striking a ramshackle barn and inflicting on the earth a case of shingles. <laughs> But I submit to you that we have an antidote to that. Look at the cover of American Opinion every month. There you have a great artist. There you have Dan Conven uh, giving to us every month uh, beauty, wisdom, tenderness, strength, uh, something that is great. Recently he had a, a painting called uh, Promises to Keep. There you saw a boy uh, walking uh, through the brilliant autumn leaves. And there was something in the walk of that boy which would be in the walk of every boy. There was something in the eyes of that boy that should be in the eyes of every boy. And if a boy looks at that picture, he will be a greater boy than he ever could have been without it. We have here a great artist. And if in a hundred years there is a history of America, as I think thanks to JBS there will be, 
then I think Dan Canavan will be one of our great artists and will be recognized as such. And then we have the culture of fiction uh, and of the novel. Now we all know the sort of novels that we find about the naked and the dead, uh, about uh, uh, here and eternity, with a great deal of here and no eternity, uh, and that sort of thing. There was some novel I once read in which this statement was made, tomorrow is another day, more's the pity. Well, that is not the culture of conservatism. But fortunately, we have, we have as one of our own the widest read novelist in all the world. I think the greatest novelist now writing in English, a great lady, a great artist, a magnificent uh, creator. We have her pillar of iron. Uh, we have her great lion of God. We know her as a great novelist. And she is one of ours. Uh, she is one of ours, thank God. And that, that is something, something that is indeed the culture of conservatism. And we have a great magazine, too. A great magazine uh, for the culture of conservatism, American Opinion. Uh, the, great, the greatest magazine of conservatism in all the world. And I think one reason for that is that we have the greatest editor uh, in, the, in the conservative movement. Uh, we have Scott Stanley. Now, I sometimes think Scott Stanley, I know that Scott Stanley is the very greatest student that I've ever had. If I ever get to, if I ever get to heaven, which I often doubt, uh, one reason will be that I did teach Scott Stanley in my classes. <laughs> uh, he is a great editor in the tradition of Frank Harris. He does not find, uh, he is not a fault finder, he is a star finder. He knows the nuances of things. He is the soul of the magazine. He understands the soul of his authors. and. Uh, well, he's like a great conductor, a mighty maestro. He brings out the deep clangors of the brasses. He brings out the murmurous music of the woodwinds. Uh, he brings out uh, the poignancy of violin and violoncello. And he also brings out even music from an odd little piccolo like me. <laughs> uh, he is a great editor and we can indeed be proud of him. And now just a final word. This is a great anniversary. It is an anniversary of a birthday. It is the birthday of the John Birch Society. And we owe that, of course, uh, to one whom I regard as the Mr. Greatheart of contemporary history, Robert Welch. Where would we be tonight if it hadn't been for Robert Welch? Where would America be tonight if it hadn't been for Robert Welch? Uh, he has known loneliness. He has known attack. He has known courage, the courage of his own heart. He has known the genius of organization and see what he has built. 
And so tonight I would dedicate to him and to you and to the John Birch Society the first poem in my first book, which I call Birth. Now in a poem we use an image which is a symbol, and the symbol means more than it seems to me. The image here is that of the seed cast into the dark loam of the earth, thence to grow upward toward the light, uh, to be the flower for beauty or the grain for bread. And I'm thinking about more than that. I'm thinking about the human soul and the, and the soul of Robert Welch. And so this is the poem, which I call Birth. The grain of corn within the earth knows well the agony of birth. It lies with stones for bedfellows in moles still damp with perished snows. It feels the dusky, breathless dirt heat on it and must lie inert and frigid till the raindrops swell, breaking its heart, its stubborn shell. Then in slow anguish it must thrust its pale head upward through the crust of the oblivious earth and send thin fingers of its life to rend food from the sunless, deaf, profound, stony abysses of the ground. It has but rain and mold to eat, and damp pink earthworms at its feet. So my soul lies in darker earth, a seed in agony of birth, waiting half hopeless to be born, perhaps as tassel-whispering corn. But there's no perhaps about it today. The John Birch Society has been born. Uh, the tassels whisper in the sun and the wind. Uh, the grain ripens to be the bread of the soul of man. And so I think we can say that we today, we of the John Birch Society, we are the children of the morning, we are the people of the sun. Thank you very much, Professor Root. And any comments from your chairman would be out of order after that delightful interlude. And it is most fitting uh, that those remarks be followed by a musical interlude uh, in our program tonight before our main speaker. <laughs> 